0: What is Off The Groove? It means you've blown the line, or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far, or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack.
1: Off The Groove with Scotty
0: Dubler. Just now thawing out from the shivering up in Shakopee and preparing for the 2018 season finale across the bay from the city that never sleeps. Last weekend's event in Minnesota did not disappoint. Colby Carlisle takes home his third mile win of the season with another perfect day running fastest in qualifying, winning his heat race, and leading every lap of the main event. His win puts him just one point behind third place Shana Texter, who finished seventh in Minnesota, heading into the season finale this weekend. 2018 singles champion Dan Bromley battled Carlisle throughout the main, but finished second, and Tristan Avery overcame a rough start to get his first podium finish of 2018, finishing third. In the Twins class, the race was all about survival. As IndyCar driver Rick Mears always said, to finish first, you must first finish. Jared Meese and Briar Bauman know that all too well. Meese led the first six laps before suffering his first mechanical of the year, giving Briar Bauman the lead. Brier would extend that lead to 9.35 seconds over Brian Smith before running out of gas. Talking to Breyer after the race, I was told that the gas tank was topped off before the main. I guess it was a combination of weather, holding it wide open, and taking the high line that led to Breyer's empty gas tank. Henry Wild secures second place in the points for 2018, finishing second, and Pearson finishes third, his best finish on the Indian, and his first podium of the season. Tomorrow will be the last event of 2018. It'll be my 178th straight national behind the mic, spanning over a decade with American Flat Track. This will be the first time in those 10 years I'll be announcing a national event from New Jersey. Not really sure what to expect for track conditions as the series has never ran at this venue. The major storyline for both classes will be the battle for third in points. In the singles class, watch for Colby and Shayna to battle it out as they are both usually strong on mild tracks. In the twins class, seven points separates Briar Bauman and Carver for the third spot. Five points separate 5th to 8th place positions. Keep an eye on Coase, Smith, Johnson, and Coolbeth as they'll be looking for points to lock in that 5th place position in the 2018 standings. You'll rarely see me rooting for a rider. But you may hear a little excitement in my voice on saturday if cool beth happens to be running up front with the laps winding down regardless of how he finishes it'll be one hell of a ride for the king of cool on sunday the series celebrates the season with the 2018 awards banquet the event will be broadcast live to the world on fanschoice.tv look for some major announcements regarding the 2019 season and beyond there's a chance that yours truly could be hosting with the one and only heather DeBoe. hearing lots of rumors about announcements to be made riders potentially announcing new rides new race venues, new sponsors, and more. Tune in and watch the news as it breaks on Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That leads us to this week's topic. As AFT will be looking back and celebrating the 2018 season, we want to hear from you, the fans, in our newest segment. This week's topic, what is your favorite memory of the 2018 season? 904-395-5956. Call in and leave us a message telling us your thoughts. Our guest this week is a guy who's no stranger to motorcycles, but fairly new to flat track racing. He spent the majority of his career racing supercross and motocross events across the country. He was the first American to win the overall ISDE in 2015, securing his place in motorcycle history. More recently, he put a herding on our flat track boys at the Buffalo Chip back in August, and he'll be racing for Team Puerto Rico this weekend at the Motocross of Nations event in Redbud alongside Travis Pastrana and Kevin Windham. I called him up to talk about his racing career and find out whether we can expect to see him back on a flat tracker in 2019. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ryan Sipes. hello who, who's it? Is this the winner of the buffalo chip tt
1: yeah
0: <laughs> yep the only one no kidding man i uh it's been a while since i talked to you since uh, we saw you at the buffalo chip taking the win but i wanted to catch up with you and i want to let the flat track fans know who ryan sipes is so i appreciate you taking the time uh so let's just jump into it and uh, get to know ryan sipes where were you born
1: um Flair. well born in louisville kentucky and i've lived in Flair,ty kentucky my whole life um that's just where the hospital is we kind of live out in the middle of nowhere but uh i don't know that's where i call home it's where i keep coming back to so
0: right on what what's it like growing up in kentucky
1: shit i guess i don't know any different but uh but i mean i like it
0: we got all four seasons for sure we get a little
1: snow we get some pretty hot summers get a lot of rain and uh, but it's been good i mean i grew up on a farm and um that was basically my first job you know uh i don't know it was throwing hay bales or whatever it was um but uh yeah i mean we got to ride a lot we you can ride pretty much all year you just got to be tough in the winter time kind of tough out the cold and the mud but i don't know like i said i like it that's about all i know so
0: right on there's some other fast guys you know they ride motorcycles from kentucky also do you know any of those guys
1: <laughs> yeah i do uh yeah i would say they're fast um diff- different kind of racing but uh but no that's it's kind of weird how like Owensboro is like like a little hotbed for you know obviously started with the Haydens, but there's other guys there that are did they just kind of kind of keep churning them out you know fast dudes from down there on the flat track side and road race and that so but i just kind of got to know those guys um better uh this past year and uh
0: rode with them a bunch and it's a it's a fun group. Yeah, there there's some fast guys for sure. We'll talk about the guys you ride with when we get into flat track, but let's let's concentrate a little bit more on you. So how'd you get into motorcycling?
1: Uh well my dad raced and um uh, he was never great, but you know, he was a good rider and uh local local, you know, fast B rider. Yeah, I I don't remember being that little, but um with my son it's like he's around if he's with me, we're working on dirt bikes, so he's, you know, naturally going to kind of gravitate toward it. And I think that's kind of what happened with with us. And I've been riding as long as I can remember. I think I got a, my dirt, first dirt bike was for my second birthday. Had little training wheels on it, and been riding ever since.
0: Wow! Do you remember your first race?
1: Um, Vaguely, yeah. I was the only got I was the only fifty rider there, so I won. So I, was, I came <laughs> out to a hot start, but. uh, no, they, um, I think I'm pretty sure dad had to kind of chase me all the way around the track to make sure I could make it over the jumps and all that stuff. Cause I raced at three or just turned four. So wow. I was a little big dude, but, uh,
0: That's awesome. So yeah. cool. So, so what was your favorite racing memory when you were growing up?
1: Man, I don't know. I can't really pin it down to one. I think just traveling around with the family in the, I mean, we, we didn't have a ton of money, so our first race vehicle was my dad's pickup truck. And then when both kids, my, my brother started racing too, uh, we had a little thing. I, I want to say it was a Dodge. It was school bus yellow, like a work van it Had nothing on the inside. Dad went and bought some school bus seats and put in there so we could all the whole family could ride in there and then graduated to like a sleeper van. But it was a 1970 something, just butt ugly. And <laughs> uh kind of you know went all the way through it but those trips you know getting out of school on friday and rolling out you know taking off driving all night getting up just in time for practice that kind of stuff was uh i mean it's memories i'll never forget
0: yeah i'm right there with you i grew up you know my grandpa raced my dad raced and i just Remember growing up, and you you wake up, you travel to a race, you race, and you jump back in the van, and drive back home to go to work and stuff. But uh, man, I love it. Mm-hmm. So, what was your number when you first started racing? Do you remember that?
1: Um, my number when I started when I very first started, I think was four, and then it turned to sixty four pretty quick after that. Like I think I was on fifties, and we were I was number sixty four because Dad said that the way you get your number is you take the last two digits of your AMA number, and that's your number. So his yeah. was 44, and then I was 64. Um, I don't know if that was just kind of a thing, you know, because now it just seems like you just pick whatever number you like. But that's what uh, that's where 64 comes from, and I'm still running a portion of that with you know 264. So
0: I love it. I love it. I remember hearing that story when I was growing up myself too. So that's pretty cool. Uh, what riders did you look up to when you were first getting to go, you know, getting started? I know you obviously your dad, but who else were you looking up to?
1: Um. Michael Rocco was always kind of my guy growing up. Uh, I think that uh, he was probably dad's guy, you know, and that's why I started liking him. But I mean, I still, even, you know, as I grew up and kind of started making my own decisions, I still liked him just because he was always the guy that seemed like coming from behind and was never tired. And he would, you know, pass dudes on the last lap and, just felt like he was the hardworking guy. And I kind of liked that part of it, but him and uh, I'd say Kevin Wyndham was probably the other guy that, that I looked up to just because of his style. I thought it was cool.
0: Right on. Do you have a nickname? <laughs> Not
1: really. We were just talking about that the other day. Nothing's really ever stuck. You know, people okay. call me Rhino, but that's already been taken. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's nothing's really ever stuck, you know?
0: All right. Did you race any other kind of disciplines of motorcycle racing growing up? I know you did motocross and supercross. What else have you raced?
1: Uh, I mean, basically, I only raced moto throughout amateurs, and then like, we never did. We would ride in the woods uh, just in the winter time, just when it was too muddy on the track. We would ride in the woods, but we had one little, you know, half a mile trail or something that we would ride, and we we actually toughed out the snow more more often than not. Um, so yeah moto all the way until I turned pro in 05 and um, that was the first time I ever raced supercross or rid- basically ever ridden supercross um, and then I did that till 2013 um, I went into off road started doing GNCC and a couple of national duros and uh, that's the only thing I've done up until this year and I kind of jumped in and did some flat track stuff So,
0: wow so let's talk about your pro career just a little bit. I mean, you said you went pro for motocross in two thousand five. You won three two fifty supercross wins. Um, what was it about supercross that you liked so much?
1: I don't know, supercross was fun. It's it's was more fun than motocross sometimes. It just you're jumping all the time and it was really technical to to be able to, you know, hit those rhythm sections. It it wasn't just you know, hit it as hard as you can, you know, you really had to time it. And, and I like that. And I like the fact that in supercross, you could practice on basically exactly what you were going to race on. So we had, you know, I was on factory teams, um, most of my supercross career. So we were always on a, you know, one of the good test tracks and stuff. And, uh, so I like supercross. It was just, it was like, now I, I wouldn't race it. Just because, I mean, at this point in my career, it's so dangerous to go as fast as I would want to go that and that you need to go to be competitive, it's just sketchy because you're pushing so much pushing on the edge.
0: Wow, you think so on the edge, probably more in supercross than motocross, I think motocross is a little bit more forgiving. You have more room, you don't have you know you don't have hay bales and walls and and other riders so close to you, so you think it's a little bit more forgiving in motocross.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you're on the edge in moto just as much as you are in supercross, but like you said the uh it's a little bit more forgiving where you got a little room to, you know, to crash out rather than just plow yourself into a, the next jump. That's what always hurts you the most, I think in supercross. Is you come up short on one and you pile drive yourself into the next one and it don't move. You know. So right, right. Lots, lots of bones break pretty easy when you're doing that kind of stuff.
0: What what's your favorite memory of Supercross? You know, what do you look at as your favorite highlight of your career? Uh,
1: the first win was for sure the best, you know, the the highlight, I think. And uh, all the wins were good, but the first one was like, I'd been doing it for a long time, you know, seven or eight years, or no, I guess six years, six or seven, uh, before I finally got a win. I was like, kind of wondering, you know, if it's ever going to happen, and I was kind of the older guy in the class at that point, and um, but we worked really hard that year and I had a super cool mechanic and a good team, good bike. And, um, we, uh, got her done. So that, that one felt good.
0: Right on. Do you have a favorite, uh, highlight from your motocross career from out outdoors?
1: Yeah, I got some fourth overalls a couple times. I never, never got on the podium overall. I got on the podium in motos, but, uh, I'd say, um, 2010, I qualified faster than Dungey a few times. That was pretty fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I always played motocross. It was just uh, – it was – I never could stay healthy enough, I guess, to to pile up years on years of – because I felt like the longer you stay healthy, the better you get Like because you're just – you don't ever lose that confidence. You just kind of keep building and keep building. And it seemed like every six months or a year I would get hurt, and I'd start back from zero. And so that was the tough part about moto and supercals for me.
0: You announced your retirement from full-time racing in 2014. How tough of a decision was that for you?
1: Uh, I mean, not that tough, really. It was tough in the aspect of that's all I'd ever done, you know, but, uh, and I was giving up, you know, a lot of money I still could have made, but, um, at the time I just got married, I I had. Um, my wife had a daughter when we got together, and I needed to be here. I needed to be a dad more than I needed to race dirt bikes. So, you know, it, it turned out really good. I've had some really good years since I quote unquote retired, you know, because as soon as I did that, I really didn't know what I was going to do. But I started talking to some off road guys and messing around with that and kind of jumped right into there, and, and I've had a lot of success there,
0: too. So. Right on and then that, that brings us to the ISDE. In twenty fifteen, you were the overall winner of the International Six Day Enduro. And I think that's that's a hell of an accomplishment. You're the only American to do so. Walk us through that whole experience. How did that come up and why was that such an historic event for the you know for you to be the first American to win it? Tell us about the ISDE for people that don't know about it.
1: Yeah, so ISDE is um It's different than anything. Um, Actually, there's the Sprint Enduro series is the closest we have here, but it's still not the same. So at ISD, it's um, six straight days of racing, um, which the name implies, but uh, you're going to ride, we'll ride anywhere from 150 to 200 miles a day. Um, But the only thing that counts in that 200 miles is there'll be six special tests and they're... You line up, you take it one by one, you take off and you just race the clock. You try to get the, you know, the fastest time you can. And these are the best off-road riders in the world. All the countries send their best guys. And, uh, you try to, you know, just go as fast as you can in a special test. And then the rest of the miles that you end up putting in, um, or just kind of try to survive. Cause a lot of times the transfer sections in between the tests will be tougher than the actual tests themselves and you at the ISD you can't do any or nobody else can do any work to your bike you have to do everything so you have to change tires at the end of every day um and when you do that everything's on time so you only have 15 minutes to change your tires and do a filter at the end of the day and then throughout the day if you pin it through the the transfer section you might get a little time to grab a bite to eat um you know change oil or whatever in your bike but it's just different. And I think one reason that the American, you know, an American had never won it overall and the American team had never won it, um, as a team. But I think the biggest reason was that there was nothing. Um, none of the things that we race here are like it. And the guys in Europe, they race, um, their main off-road series is world enduro. And that's the same format. So, they were kind of it was another race for them, whereas for us it was totally different and it just fit my style really well um I'm coming from moto, I was used to being really intense and on the edge and you know pushing the limit um with the, you know pushing the tire's limit and your traction and that kind of thing and just being super intense, and that's the way you have to do it there like if you're not almost crashing the entire time, um you're not going fast enough. Which I love that kind of racing, but uh, yeah, we uh, I went over and I, I went on a club team in 2013, and uh, and the club team, you know, you're not competing with the trophy guys. Um, but I did okay, and then in 2014 I didn't go. My son was being born. In 2015 it was kind of up in the air whether they were gonna pick me or not, and and I was started to do better in the GNCCs and got a bunch of podiums, and I was. Um, I was fast, you know, even if on the ones I didn't get on the podium, I was fast. I would just crash or, or something else. Um, so he, uh, they, they picked me and we went over there and I didn't really, you know, I obviously didn't expect to win, but the first day we were, I was second or third, you know, in the overall, but I was just a few seconds off the, the lead. And then day two, I think I took the lead and, uh, and never gave it up. So it was, um, that was one of them deals where I was just on, um, I was on all week and it's a super cool event. It, to me, it felt like winning a championship because it wasn't that I was only, you know, you had to be the best guy on one day. You had to be the best guy through, through six days. And, uh, we ride almost eight hours a day. So, you know, you're talking almost 50 hours of riding. Um, you had to be the best guy at the end of it. So I was really proud of that. And it's be able to hold it together with a lead, you know, late in the week. And and at that point it's tough because you got, you still have to go fast. So you're not losing time, but you don't want to crash because you've already got this lead and you know, it's like, you're trying to protect the lead, but you still have to go fast. And it was nerve wracking for sure. But, um, that was one of the coolest things I've ever done. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of.
0: Yeah, I would, I would guess so. I, you know, there's 503 riders from 30 different countries and one winner. And that's you, man. Congratulations. Uh, my hat's off to you. I don't think I'd make it through the first day.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's not as hard as everybody, you know, it's not as hard as it sounds. It sounds like you would just be dead tired, but with the format, you're only racing hard for like 45 minutes a day. So the rest of the time is like a, I mean, for us, for the faster guys, it's a, it's a fun trail ride pace. And you, you still get there in plenty of time. And uh, it, I think it wears on you mentally more than more than physically. So it's still a tough race and you still feel kind of beat up after it and, and all that. But um, I don't know. It's one of my favorite events. And as long as they keep wanting me to come, I'll keep going.
0: That's awesome. I love it, man. That's a heck of a story. I, I'm, uh, I'm so impressed with, you know, you winning that. That's, that's incredible to me. So let's transition over into uh flat track. So, you raced the Springfield TT and the Buffalo Chip TT this year. When did you start thinking you wanted to race some flat track Grand Nationals?
1: Um, well, I met J.D. Beach at the last round of Moto America last year. And uh, and I had never, you know, I'd always watched the Haydens ride flat track and I'd seen their videos. And I'd i been scheduled to go ride with Nikki and and those guys a, a couple times. And it just... It would rain or something would you know wouldn't work out. So I I've been looking looking at it for a while, thinking it looks like fun. Um, but anyway, met JD and he's like, yeah, you know he don't he said I don't live too far from you. I got extra bikes if you want to come ride. And uh, so I took him up on it and went down and rode. I rode like four times last year, just last fall. Um, and then once in the winter time, we went to Duke Coin and did the indoor deal um, over the New Year weekend. Um, and then they were kind of like, all the guys, um, we ride with, uh, JD and Nick McFadden, Jake Lewis, and of course, Roger and a bunch of dudes. And, and I was bad the first time, you know, and I was doing everything wrong (laughs) as far as technique wise and stuff. And, uh, but as we went on, like the third or fourth time I was riding, they're like, "Man, you're riding pretty good. You should do a race. And it kind of started out as, you know. Just go do this race. you yeah, know it'll be fine. And, but I, in my mind, they were thinking, you know, just go do it for fun because you're not that good yet. <laughs> um, but and that's the way I felt too. I mean, I would, I really watched JD a lot and try to figure out how he was going so fast and how he was so consistent and the, the way he was doing things. And he helped me a ton. He'd be like, you know, you need to get that inside knee out more and you need to sit this way and do this with your – you know, all this different stuff. It seemed like everything that I did that I knew from moto was backwards for flat track. Um, but it just, it was such a challenge for me that it made it really fun. And every time I went and rode, I just, I didn't want to stop. I just keep on going and going. And, and every, it was like the learning curve was super steep because every time I went, seemed like every time I went on the track, I'd take a break and go back out and I'd get better. And, uh, just cause I was learning it. And, um, so anyway, I'd, at that point it was kind of a joke. And then this year I decided I wanted to do, instead of just focus on one thing, I wanted to do a bunch a, as many different types of motorcycle racing as I could. Um, just because I can, you know, I I can do a lot of different things. I can do off-road, I can do moto. Um, and then, you know, it came up and it's like, Oh yeah, maybe I'll just try this flat track thing, especially with the way flat track is kind of just blowing up, you know, popularity wise. And, that's what the whole point of my race everything, um, schedule was going to be is, is just try to get as much exposure as it can. So flat track fit that bill, you know, to, to kind of grab a part of another fan base that, that I'd not been exposed to before. And if I could do well, you know, it could lead to, you know, I could get even a, a bigger part of that fan base. And, um, so anyway, decided, uh, asked it is which ones are the best? He said, well, you need to do a TT, because then you have a jump and a right-hander that you'll be, that'll help you, you know, because most guys struggle in right-handers and jumps. I said, well, that makes sense to me, you know, because I'd, I'd probably get smoked on a just if it was all flat lefts, and um, so he said Springfield and Sturgis, and um, those fit in the schedule, and kinda I actually didn't ride much before Springfield. I only rode probably twice this year before it but got a bike built and uh which I've never done that either, never built a flat track bike. So that was kind of a kind of an adventure. But um I don't know. I kinda just went in going, I'm just gonna go have fun with it and just see what happens. And then I somehow qualified first at Springfield. You know, I was like, that's weird. Um <laughs> didn't expect that. And then to have that crash there uh that just kind of made me hungry for more um you know at Sturgis
0: yeah it was it was awesome I mean I I don't think people were aware of who you were and and all of a sudden you fast qualifier you know at at the Springfield TT I wish you wouldn't have fell off in the right hander because I think you could have battled for the win for that one too and I was just impressed that you you picked yourself up and kept going and got a 10th place where a lot of our you know a lot of flat track guys when they fall off they tend to be well, they'll just put in the hauler or they'll put in the pits or they'll just cruise around at the back of the pack, but not you. You picked it up and, and still finished a, a tenth place finish. And then let's talk about the Buffalo chip, man. You dominated that race and I think what what may have helped you a little bit is when the rain came in, I think I think the rain might have scared some of our flat track guys, but it seemed like it made the track even better for you. But what I thought was the most you know, the, the, the coolest thing for you is the way you were hitting that jump. You're wheeling up to the jump and then over the jump and setting, you know, the back wheel set the front end down over the jump. And I think a few tries, a few guys tried to emulate you, but nobody could do it. And, man, you were just hauling the mail at the Buffalo Chip.
1: No, thanks, man. Yeah, it was, like I said, after Springfield and being fast and actually feeling good, like the main at Springfield was when I finally felt the best. Um, and I was riding the best and then to fall, it was like, man, I really want to do it. I want to try it again now because I think I'm good enough to be up there and try to stay off the ground, you know? And, um, yeah, Buffalo chip was cool. That track was awesome. The dirt wasn't great, but the, uh, the track, like the layout itself was super cool with, you know, more than one right-hander and, and just fun, just a really fun layout. And, um, yeah, that, that rain kinda threw a, a wrench in it, but the the let's see. Was it that was after the heat races, right?
0: Yeah, right. I think it's yeah, before the semis and then the mains, yes.
1: Yeah. So I won the heat race at school. Um, and I knew from the very first practice of the day. You know, I'm in I was in the slow practice, one of the slower practices, and I could not get a clean lap in to save my life. There was just dudes everywhere and you even if you were a lot faster than him, you couldn't pass him. So I knew like the whole shot was going to be key and um, qualified good out of a, a practice. I, was and I won the heat race, which is awesome. And then the, the semi um, I, I kind of messed up on the start and, and uh, I was the second and then I couldn't pass the dude. Like I think I was a little bit faster than him, but I just couldn't get by. There's just no place to pass. So I knew I had to get the whole shot in the main You know, and then uh, I did, which is cool. Uh, My bike that uh, Tyler King built my engine, and it's super fast and um, got off the line good. And just at first I I was like, all right, got the whole shot. That's step one. Let me lay down some heaters and get a little bit of a gap. That way I can run the line I want because there were a few spots that if you weren't careful, you could get T-boned. And um, just trying to set up a corner, getting out wide to set it up, you know, you'd leave the door open. And so I'm like, well, let me just throw down some heaters and get away from the pack a little bit. Every time I tried to do that, I would almost yard sell. Like I had three really close calls where I almost threw it away. I'm like, you idiot, what are you doing? And uh, and so finally, I'm like, all right, fine, I'm just gonna just hug the inside and not let anybody by. I mean, I think we were still going fast. We were still pulling away from fourth place, but those top three were, were close. And, um, you know, everybody said, well, Lehman was a lot faster than you in the tight stuff. And I go, yeah, he probably was a little faster, but the the reason he made up so much time is I was guarding that inside super hard. You know, I wasn't able to sweep out to set it up, but then I was a little faster in the faster stuff. So I don't know. I had a I had a really good time, had fun. And uh, by that time, the the track was, super slick and uh, it was like the you know after the rain the first races after the rain were just like velcro it was really grippy but by the main um whether the that that slick part got you know pushed off or whatever um it was just like ice out there so it was hard to push and uh you know try to get any kind of a lead so i just held the inside and you know held off those guys
0: Man, sounds like you really enjoyed it. And I know the fans did because you were putting on a clinic there for a while, for sure. But uh, any plans on more flat track in twenty nineteen?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to do I want to do four rounds next year if I can. Um, that's the plan. I'd like to do um, the the two I did this year, Springfield and Sturgis, and then Peoria. That looks really fun. Um, I didn't get to go, but I watched it on you know Fans Choice or whatever. That track looked cool, so I want to do that one, and then I'd like to do a short track, um, probably Springfield. Um, just I probably get smoked, you know, but I want to try it because um, I don't know. It just it just looks like fun. I want to learn that part of it.
0: So. I think I think you'd have a good time. I, I think you'd have pretty good odds there. I mean, they they keep that dirt loose and and it's fast and it's at the same you know it's at the same facility where you were doing so good on the uh, on the TT there at Springfield. But let's move on to what you got coming up: the 2018 Motocross of Nations at Redbud, October 6th and the 7th. You are representing Team Puerto Rico with Travis Pastrana and Ronnie Mack. Man, how pumped are you about this next event coming up for you? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm really pumped. But um I gotta let you know Ronnie's out and uh Kevin oh. is is the third guy on the team now. So okay. it's actually, that's actually right. it's cool. Yeah, yeah. K dub is if you had to, you know, a list of replacements, he'd be at the top of it. So um I'm really excited about it. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be, you know, a, a dream fulfilled for me. Um all my years of motocross, that was like the pinnacle, you know, if you could be selected for team USA. I'm not team USA, but you know, at least I get to go do the race and uh we're we're raising a ton of money for Puerto Rico to go down and help them rebuild. I know it's been a year after the hurric- you know, since the hurricane, but there's still whole communities without roofs, you know, and they got tarps for roofs and stuff like that. And that's just that it needs to be fixed. So we're gonna try to raise a bunch of money and, and go down there and and do it.
0: Well, how can our listeners help out? I mean, can we? I know we can buy some t shirts and stuff like that, but how can our listeners help out Team Puerto Rico to help out what's going on down there?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple different ways. Um, you can go to the website and buy merchandise. It's teampuertorico2018.com. Um, and there's, you know, shirts and hats and cowbells and hoodies and a bunch of different stuff that you can get on there. All that goes toward. Um, toward well first our expenses because we're all out of pocket quite a bit right now um but that's fine i mean we're we're doing it because we think it's a a good cause um but then the rest of you know once our expenses are paid the rest goes to puerto rico and to help rebuild down there and um the other way you can do it is we've partnered up with a um disaster relief um foundation um it's called global disaster outreach. You can find them on Facebook. Um, they're a 501, um, nonprofit. So every penny that you donate is, you know, goes directly down there and there's no question about, you know, where it's going. Um, we're actually Travis, Kevin, and I, all the, the global disaster guys are going down and we're going to do the work ourselves. So we're not just collecting money and sending it down there, you know, and hoping for the best. We're actually going to go down there and do the work ourselves. So, anything anybody can do um is awesome to help out because like i said they need it down there
0: that's so cool i uh man my hat's off to you that's awesome what's it like working with travis pastrana (laughs)
1: well it's funny man we're uh we're me and him and and Dub are on a group text and it's all the time like those guys haven't raced in a long time and you know they they ride but not serious anymore and So they're trying to get back in shape and they're texting me like I did, I did two 15 minute motos today and they're all stoked and like, all right, guys, you know, pick it up. And then, but with Travis, it's like, I got a text the other day. I woke up with my, my wrist in a, in a, you know, ice bucket. So I'm not really (laughs) sure what happened. I crashed. So I'm hoping we just make it to the race, you know, but it's super (laughs) cool. And those dudes are, those dudes are committed. Like they're not taking it lightly. They're actually training really hard and riding a ton and and trying to be as, you know, we want to make the A main and and get in there and and have some fun. Um, So it's, it's fun working with those dudes and um, seeing, you know, Travis is crazy and he's bouncing off the walls and he's, he's got so many, you know, so much going on. I don't know how he has time for anything, but. It's cool to just be a part of this thing
0: right on. Give him a hard time because he he tried flat track. I think it was back in two thousand and six at the Daytona short track and and back then, I think one hundred and ten riders showed up and only the fastest sixty made it to the night program, and he didn't make the cut. so you got to give him a hard time that, that you're faster than him on flat track for sure.
1: yeah i've I've, I've heard that story before whenever <laughs> you know as far as motocross or trying to go flat track. They said, well, Pastrana couldn't do it well you know those uh i think the the thing i like about flat track is that it's just i mean we as a motocrosser or off-roader um we do somewhat the same kind of thing like we still fight for traction you know basically the whole whatever track we're riding we're fighting for traction and we're trying to find the most traction but The cool thing about flat track is everybody is on the same tires. Everybody's on the same track and basically in the same line for the most part. But you got to, your job is to figure out how to get more traction than the next guy. And I think that's just a fun challenge, you know, to try to figure it out what you can do different with your body position and all that. And like I said, I do everything kind of backwards from what traditional, you know, what JD tells me. It's like, I'm not doing that. I try it and it it feels so foreign to me. And I'm like, by the, by the time I get to the race, I just go heck with it. And I just go moto it. And, you know, it somewhat works. I'm, I'm for sure I could be better, you know, at it if maybe if I did some of those things, but I don't know. I just think flat track is a really fun challenge and it's a cool form of racing. It's just simple and really cool.
0: I'm right there with you. So we're about to wrap this thing up. Tell us something we don't know about Ryan Sipes.
1: Oh man. Um, I got three kids. Okay. And, <laughs> and they're as much work as anything else I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, that's, I agree. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's awesome. I wouldn't change it for anything, but it does make it, I sometimes wonder what I did with all my time, you know, because <laughs> uh gone are the days when you wake up and think what am i going to do today you know it's already (laughs) laid out for you you got got plenty on the more on the plate than than time to do it but uh but it's awesome i like having having the family and, and doing that whole deal
0: are there any other goals you're looking to accomplish in your racing career
1: um call me crazy i'd like to try road racing um i i don't think it's feasible really at this point I'm too old and I I won't you know I can't go travel the club circuits and do all that but I would just I guess I want to try just go to the track day and see what it's all about because it it looks super fun I love watching it and I like that the whole technique because I think technique in that is is everything too Um, so I'd like to try that but that one might have to just go by the go by the wayside and not get tried i don't know
0: right on so it's time for graham's question graham is my grandma and she goes to most of the races that i go to and some that i don't even make it to myself but she said she's glad that i'm interviewing you uh she said she was super proud of you at the buffalo chip your ride was amazing she doesn't know much about you so but she knows that you're very versatile so she she's just wondering why you didn't choose to be number one in flat track why you didn't try flat track sooner
1: I was just never exposed to it. Um, We, you know, my dad raced motocross, so I raced motocross, you know. And uh, the flat track scene is, there isn't one around here. I couldn't tell you where the closest place to race flat track would be. So um, I guess that's my answer. Um, Just never was exposed to it and never had a chance to try it. I always thought it looked cool, but just never had a chance to try it.
0: Well, we're definitely glad you tried it this year, and we look forward to seeing you again next year. So it's time for our rapid-fire questions. I want the first answer that comes to your mind when I say the next few questions. Are you ready? Yep. What's your favorite motorcycle you ever rode? My
1: 2018 Husqvarna 350.
0: Love it. What's your favorite racetrack?
1: High Point. used to be High Point. Not anymore. They changed the track, but it used to be High Point.
0: Okay what's your most memorable part of the six days of racing the isde
1: uh coming across that finish line day six 2015 when there was no more no more hoping it was it was done i won the thing
0: awesome what's your favorite trophy that you've ever won um 2011
1: Indy Supercross the first one I won um, right on. they gave us the cups you know the, the victory cups that was a pretty cool trophy
0: where is it at right now
1: it's upstairs in my office
0: ok who's the best motocross rider of all time Ricky Carmichael ok who's your favorite flat tracker to watch J.D. Beach right on JD's going to be racing the last two Grand Nationals with us, Minnesota this weekend and then the next weekend up in New Jersey. So uh, look forward to seeing him back on a flat tracker. Ryan, man, I appreciate the time. I know we're at the end of the episode, and I'd like to have this opportunity to give to you to say thanks to anyone you'd like.
1: For sure. Well, thanks to you guys for having me on. Um, I got to thank Rockstar, Liat, Maxis, Husqvarna, Close clutches, FMF, uh, XC gear, ski Hatch racing, power band suspension, um, nitro moose, um, Mika handlebars and sprockets and chains, um, Motion Pro. They help out with tools and stuff and, I, and their throttle system. Um, Got to thank God for the talent I've been given, uh, my family for supporting me with all these crazy ideas that I have. Um, to go race flat track and stuff and um, yeah I guess that's
0: it cool man thanks so much for your time good luck at the motocross of nations up at Redbutt next weekend and actually we'll be airing this right before the race so good luck up there and uh, we'll see you next year in the flat track racing circuit
1: Ah, right, sounds good thanks guys
0: that dude is insanely talented want to thank Ryan for his time and as always you for listening smash that like button Follow us on Facebook and tell all your two-wheel friends to give us a listen. I want to give a special shout-out to Jim and Pat Evans. We're putting these two in the Off the Groove record books as our first official sponsors. Cannot thank them enough for their support, not just for the podcast, but for Flat Track in general. Last week, we asked for your thoughts on the removal of semi-races from national events, and boy, did you respond. The rider me struggles with the decision, as it only gives you one chance to make the main event. As an announcer and a fan, it does shorten the program. Call me old-fashioned, but I think the best option would be to find a way to shorten the older format, heats, semis, dash for cash, and mains. Enough of what I think, let's hear your thoughts.
1: Good morning, Terry Reimer, Black Hills Harley-Davidson. Yeah, I actually thought the program in Minneapolis last weekend went well. You know, as long as they give us uh, a practice and a couple qualifying practices, I think eliminating the semifinals is okay, and if that uh, helps us get better and more uh, uh, timely TV coverage, I think it's even better yet. So there you have it. Thanks. Bye.
0: I think removing the semi-races takes chances away from privateer riders. They should have more than one chance to make a main event. That's my opinion. Thank you.
1: I didn't think AFT knew what they were doing back in 2016 when they made all those changes, but that seemed to work out. I don't really like the idea of removing racing from the program because I don't really think that that is the issue, but I guess time will tell. Listen, these riders do not make enough money to be driving all the way across the country for one shot
0: at making the main event. Let them race. Why,
1: why? Why do you want to take races away from me?
0: As long as I get to watch my man Henry Walls race the main event, you guys can do whatever you want. I love that moment.
1: Hey, Scotty, this is the Kentucky Mudflat from Richmond, Virginia, and I'm just talking about the eliminating of the heat races. I think what they should do, like the motorcycle races, to do the whoop de whoops we should do the old last chance qualifier. And uh, I like the idea of eliminating the things, make the races shorter. I done got six DUIs leaving the the big room after watching the fan choice this year. I need about an hour and a half and I need to get off the road. And then another thing. Let's make all the the, the races a uh, groove cushions. That way Briar Bauman can just win a mile. Kentucky Mud Flap from Richmond, Virginia, out.
0: <laughs> My favorite call to date, a shout out to the Kentucky Mud Flat. Don't forget to call in and be a part of next week's show. What's your favorite memory of the 2018 season? 904-395-5956. Leave a message telling us your thoughts. You say it, we'll play it. Just because the racing ends this weekend doesn't mean the podcast does. In fact, we're taking it up a notch for episode number 43. Hey, Scotty. Hey, Carter. Most of you folks don't know who Carter is, but you will. We'll talk to you next week.